I, I want to review a little bit with this just because we're only doing 25 verses. And that's the whole book of Jude. It's the last book of the Bible before you get into Revelation. Uh, starting in January, we'll be doing a series in Revelation, so you guys come back for that. Um, but um, this, is, this is talking about earnestly contending for the faith. And the theme of that verse, is, or, or this chapter, or verses, I guess you can't say chapter, one's chapter. Uh, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you with the common salvation, it was needful, needful. I had to do this for me to write unto you and exhort you. I, I'm pleading, begging, pulling you into this, striving that you should earnestly contend for the faith. doesn't just say that you should contend for the faith, that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Man, have a determination to win. should be in your heart to know that there is a battle for truth. That's why we lose our kids. It, it, it's the, the, we teach them in classes and, and things like that, and then, then there's all of these uh, issues come up. Do, do we need more chairs? We'll get, thank you, Carrie, for doing that. Um, but he's telling them we, we have to fight for what's right. The word contend means to struggle. And man, does that not make sense? We, 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 it's, it's not just an easy thing. Satan is constantly going after us. If we don't stand up and fight back, Satan's going to push us around, and he's done that so much. A contender is simply one that accepts the fight or the challenge. And that's why the Jude is like, hey, I'm going to challenge you guys to, to fight for what is right. You drop your guard, Satan's going to walk all over us. So uh, he's one that engages in battle. So Jude was also named Judas, and obviously the name Jude is being used because who wants to be associated with Judas? And uh, he's la labeled himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a brother of James. Why is that such a big deal that he said the brother of James? Who can remind me? Why was that such a cool thing? He's the half-brother of Jesus. I, I, I tell you what, if it was me and I was the half-brother of Jesus, I would have put point blank, I'm the brother of Jesus. You know, it's like, I would have been bragging on that. But instead, when he mentions Jesus, he said, I'm the servant of Jesus. He put himself under that authority. He said, I'll give you my association, my family heritage of being connected like that. But he was preaching and teaching against ungodly men ungodly people that were watering down sin and they were placing doubt about Jesus and salvation. And that's what Satan does. He's so subtle. He's not going to come in and say, don't go to church. He's not going to come in and tell you Jesus isn't Lord. He's just going to water it down, place doubts in our minds. He's going to tell you it doesn't matter. He's going to tell you that other things are bigger priority. He's going to do all these things. And he gave three illustrations about the consequences or because the book of Jude was not just talking about fighting well, it was talking about finishing well. And that's what a contender, it doesn't matter how you start the fight, it's how you end the fight. And I gave some illustrations about that last week. He said, uh, he gave the one illustration about the children of Israel. Uh, and he, he said in verse 5 about how they went out and they were rejoicing and praising God for the, the deliverance. And eventually they were shaking God, shaking their fists against God. If you guys remember what happened, they were, they were building golden images and doing all this stuff and reverting back to that. God did not allow them to get into the, the promised land. And he was talking about how they started off well, but then they watered it down and they got off track. How about the angels that rebelled? How did the angels start off that rebelled? They were worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping God. They were, they were part of the angelic host of heaven. And then, then they rebelled against that and they fallen. And the Bible talks about how they have eternal damnation as their, as their future. 
And they talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, about the cities in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh. Set as an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. How they started off and then they got away. And uh, even Lot's the illustration of that. He was with Abraham and he chose to go in that direction. As it's not so much how we start. And let me tell you, even for, for parents, and I know we have a lot of parents in here. It, it, it's not so much that we fight to teach them about Jesus and like, okay, close your, close your, you know, fold your hand and bow your head and like, like dear Jesus, dear Jesus, as they're two years old praying for their food. I, I want them, I want that in their same heart as they're 18 years old. I want that in their heart to, to be involved in following Jesus all through their life. It's got to be part of that. It's not just how you start, it's how you finish. So in this next question, uh, this next verse brings up a lot of questions. It involves here, here, this is fun, it involves angels, Satan, spiritual warfare, fighting. Now, I'm going to read this verse, and, and I just, I just want to throw it out there and, and, and just see how many of you guys are ready, or how many of you know anything about this. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give you just the facts, and then I'll give you guys some theories, okay? But I'm not going to preach the theories as facts, okay, because I just don't know. Okay, listen to this, verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him the railings of accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Michael the archangel, contending with the devil, disputing over the body of Moses. All right, let's just stop right there. I mean, how many of you guys right there could say, I know exactly what that's talking about. Just raise your hand right now. Okay, Dan. Okay, we've got a few of them. That's great. But for the most part, it's kind of, would you guys admit that's kind of a weird thing? Behind the scenes, you've got Michael, the archangel, fighting against the devil himself over a dead body. That's just, it sounds like a movie, okay? It really does. It sounds like a weird movie. And so I want to spend a few verses of this. You know, say, why are we going to spend a few uh, minutes studying these verses, number one, because it's weird. And, and I think anytime we hit something weird, there's got to be more to it than that, you know, because we can just bridge over it and, and step back and say, well, I don't know what that means. Well, let's stop and kind of get some understanding of that. But I think it's good, too, because I want you guys to see that everything in the Bible, if it's in there, it's in there for a reason. And I think sometimes we back away from things that doesn't make sense, and, and yet there should, could be some sort of principle in there that God wants us to learn. So I want you guys to kind of see how to study Scripture when it gets kind of difficult. And so we're just going to break it down. That's what we're going to do. And uh, so let's break it down. Let's start with the first part of it. Yet Michael the archangel. So there, there's, there's fun studies when you get into the uh, angels and demons and stuff like that in the Bible, and we've done some of that on Wednesday nights, and we might revisit some of those studies. Uh, but a lot of people will, like, over-spiritualize angels. I, I guys have told you, I've told you different stories in the past about my, how my, I've got an aunt. She's one of my favorite aunts, and she's very into those kind of things. And she'd get in, and she'd have an angel uh, hanging from her rear view mirror, and she would hold up and grab it, and she'd say like a little prayer when she got in there, and she said, I'm just asking this angel right here to protect me. Now, here I am, a Christian, and she's got a different background and stuff like that, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, that little statue's not going to do anything for you. You know, you know what I'm saying? But I think sometimes, you know, there's people that will almost idolize angels, 
And I want you guys to see, even in this passage, Michael the archangel, who is a warrior for God, at the end of it, what did he do? He said, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. He even himself put himself on the authority of God. It wasn't about him and his power or whatever. He acknowledged, and, and he, he probably took note too, as Satan tried to rise up against God, of how he was acknowledging that God is the ultimate authority in his life. So let's do a little study right here about Michael the archangel. Archangel is a chief angel. Um, it does not say a, an archangel. It says the archangel. There's only one. He is the head. It's mentioned, he's mentioned four times in the Bible, twice in Daniel, once in Revelation 12, and then in Jude 9 right here. Uh, we, who, who knows who Gabriel is in, in the Bible? Does anybody know who Gabriel is? Give me. The messenger, that's right. He wasn't an archangel, but he was a messenger angel. And for unto you is born this day in the city of David. And we've got different stories about messengers and talking to Mary about having, uh, being with child. Gabriel is not an archangel, but a messenger angel. But let's go a little bit deeper. When we read of Michael, the archangel, it's always referenced in, in four. Uh, always referenced in uh, force or uh, battle or army or conflict. Um, spiritual warfare. So in Daniel 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, uh, Gabriel goes to Daniel in a vision and, and he's speaking. Uh, and, and in that, it, he tells Daniel that he was resistant by a demon, resistant to a, or fighting against a demon uh, called the Prince of Persia. And in chapter 10, verse 13, but the Prince of Persia or the, the kingdom of Persia withstood me uh, in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief pre, uh, princes, came to me and remained there with the kings of Persia. So he talks about Michael stepping in for him in this, in this time of conflict or war. And so you've got, you've got the distinction of the two of being the messenger, but the one that kind of resisted or fought or helped with that. It's kind of interesting to think about how much spiritual warfare is going around about us and we don't see it or know about it. You know what I'm saying? I, I think uh, the Bible speaks to that. I'll show you some of these verses and stuff. But there's a raging war. I mean, to the point where if you think about different things that Satan does, and in Job chapter 1, when he was talking about where have you been, what, did he, what was his response to, G, or to God when he said that? Where did, where did he say that he'd been? Walking to and four upon the earth. Looking to, uh, who's on the earth? <laughs> That's our kids. Walking through the public schools and walking through government and walking through politics and all this other stuff, he's out to destroy. I mean, you think about, the, the Bible talks about Satan as a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't say he's just a roaring lion. It says seeking whom he may devour. I mean, he's... He's literally on the prowl, on the move. He's, he's taking action to what he does. Think about even in this passage, how weird is it that the, the, the demons and Satan fighting over spiritual battle over the body of one of God's warriors? It's weird. But if, if we're going to get anything out of this, I hope it's just for a minute. I, I, I've used illustrations like this before. There's a world behind us. I wish this opened up where sometimes God just pulls back the curtain enough to say, I just want to give you a glimpse of what you can't see. I think that's what the book of Revelation is about. You know what I'm saying? To reveal and to uncover. It's like just for a minute, you see, why is life so hard? 
why is there so much contention and division and all this stuff? And, and, and God just says, just for a minute, can I just, like, just see this is what's happening behind the scenes? And, and we, we feel the effects of it all the time, but if we're blinded to it, let me give you another illustration. When you're fighting with your spouse, you're going at it and saying, it's just, I don't know, and I can't get through to them, and I can't, man, they're, they're just driving me crazy. And then Ephesians 6 says what? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of wickedness and, high, and, and rulers of darkness and high places and all that stuff. So it's a real thing. Now, I, I think the world takes movies and twists it in another direction to where they either downplay it or they they put it and give it so much power you know that you know and I think some of the illustrations that we see I actually saved one of these and um, posted it or showed it in the service one time and it was Jesus on one side and Satan on the other and they're arm wrestling have any of you guys seen that picture you know it says click share if you think Jesus will win or click you know whatever if you want Satan to win I'm like in reality, it's just, it's just a meme, and, and people will share it, like, share it just so, you know, whatever. I'm thinking, if that was true, Jesus would be like, bing, you know, like, like that, that stuff just kind of, like, is, is, is dumb. It is really dumb when, it, when you think about it. But there is, in this, it's just a glimpse of the fact that in Revelation, we have so many illustrations of the fight and everything going on with with Satan and Jude is kind of just bringing it into reality, saying this is a real thing that happens around us. So let me, let me show you the passage of Michael in Revelation. Revelation 12, 7, it says, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. This is war. And, and obviously in Revelation, when hell is opened up and you know everything goes on, it's, you're going to see it on a heightened level of things that are are changing. Even last week when we were talking about how some of the demons are reserved in heaven for the day of judgment. and It's just all these things are going to happen. It's crazy. But here's what I do know is, Michael, we see him as a leader, we see him in battle, and we see him in times of spiritual warfare. And I think it's somewhat hard for us to comprehend this, but let me give you a verse that kind of pulls it together. Hebrews 13, 2 says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Isn't that weird? I mean, just when you think about it and stuff, like, I, 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 anyways, I'm not going to get into it. I, I've had times in my life where I'm thinking that was an unusual situation, and, you know, it's, you wonder, you really wonder. And there's some people I've met that I know are not an angel, but I'm not going to go into those stories. I was like, I know we ain't entertained angels unaware, and you are not one of them. It's like, guaranteed. <laughs> I'm like, I know you're not an angel. <laughs> um, but we know that there is intense spiritual warfare because in verse 9 it says, yeah, Michael the archangel studied him a little bit. There's only a little bit in the Bible, but we kind of pulled out what it was. When contending with the devil... Contending literally means to struggle, to fight, to labor, to labor fervently, to strive. Um, his opponent was the devil. L- let me ask you guys just for a minute, just, just to kind of pick your brain a little bit. When contending with the devil, what is, what is uh, the relationship between these two people fighting? Stop and think about that for a minute. Evil versus good, okay. But what else? At one time they were the same. Think about it. Where did, where did Satan come from? He was, 
It was up there. Yeah. And I was wondering that too. And I found nothing to support that. And maybe that's why they were contending. Yes. And a lot of these things, I'll be honest, guys, they are just a mystery. And maybe it was just that we're not meant to know or it's not necessary for us to know. But I do know that his opposition that he went head to head with, and it says contending, which literally means it wasn't just one-sided, um, but was there. He was at one time, Satan was at one time the leader of the angels. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that they're both warriors, they're both leaders on both sides. And uh, when you find in, in the studies about Satan, we learn that he was uh, in a high position. We know that. He took other angels with him. Uh, we know that. We know pride was his weakness. So we, we can see that for sure Jude is interjecting the concept of spiritual warfare. Now just stop for a minute. So this is verse 9. What were the other verses that we were reading to get up to this? What have we been talking about? Contending for the faith. So do you guys see the connection here? If we're going to talk about them watering down salvation and, and going after our kids and watering down faith and causing doubts and all these other things that we're talking about, it's, it's not that this was some random like, wow, that was a weird thing. Okay, let's keep going. It's like, no. He's literally, as we're talking about the spiritual warfare that happens in churches, he pulls back the curtains almost like, can I show you why? Okay, let's keep going. Because we're in, we're in a spiritual battle, and Satan is out to destroy everything we're standing for. Okay, so, but this is where it gets more interesting, okay? So what were they fighting about? The devil disputed about the body of Moses. So, Pause for a minute. The body of Moses brings up some really interesting conversations. And I'll just word it like that. Just because um, it's intriguing for that. Why, why are they fighting over the body of Moses? Uh, one, I can just tell you these are kind of facts. And in, in maybe from the facts, we can pull, up, pull out some uh, theories from this. Uh, one, Moses was a picture in the Old Testament. There's a lot. Of, the Old Testament had a lot of visuals and pictures. You know, it's just like the... The, the, the sacrificial lamb in the Passover was a picture of Jesus Christ. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you and the, the sacrifice and things. There's a lot of pictures in the Old Testament. We talked about uh, when the children of Israel came to Marah and the, uh, the bitter waters and how they took the tree and applied it to the bitterness and it became sweet. And how it's only the cross that can be applied to our sin to, to transform things. And there's a lot of visuals uh, in, in the Old Testament. Let me give you another visual of this. Uh, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. And I, I think most of us know that he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And then Joshua takes over for Moses and Joshua is the one that leads them into the promised land. Now let me give you kind of, kind of give you two visuals of that. Moses represented the, the Pentateuch. He represented the Ten Commandments. He represented the law of God. And then Joshua's name... In Hebrew, who, who knows what Joshua's name means? Do what is it? Savior. Savior, Jesus. So you you see in the Old Testament that the law could not allow them to get into the promised land, but then somebody steps in who is Joshua that represented Jesus was able to bring them in because of a different dispensation. And and I know that's kind of going deep, but it's kind of intriguing of just even that. 
uh, illustration of that, of how even the promised land and what Jesus did, only Jesus could do it. It could never be the law, but we needed the law that set up the grace of God because without the law, we wouldn't understand grace. So that, that is one thing that we know about. The other thing is that Moses' body had a unique ending. So um, let me show you this. He is one of the only people in the Bible that had a spiritual burial by God himself. So here's where it's mentioned. Deuteronomy 34, 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died and there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab. Over against Beth Porah. No man knoweth the sepulcher until this day. It was God that did it. No, no man did it. It was God that did it. And so that alone is mysterious of itself. So we know even the end of, of Moses' life, when he did that, that he died and he did it with, with God. And, you know, and there's a lot of theories that goes along with that. But, but in that passage right there, we had the physical aspect of it, but we don't see the spiritual behind the scenes aspect of it. You know what I'm saying? We just have the physical death and the fact that it even talks about a sepulcher or, or the place of rest for his body. But nothing is mentioned there. So in Deuteronomy, we have what man saw or what man could have saw, the physical side. But in Jude, we have the spiritual side of what was going on. The mystery is the why. That is what was so, what was so special about the body of Moses. What would he have used or planned for? Why would Satan want the body of Moses? So here's some theories, okay? So don't anybody walk out of here and say, now we know why. I'm just throwing these out at you because, like I said, I never want to teach anything as emphatic truth without being able to point to it, but this is one of those mystery things. So number one, it could be a picture of Satan trying to claim God's people because uh, we have broken God's law. Let, let me ask you guys, in Moses' history, did he do anything wrong? Yes. Uh, yeah, give me some illustrations. Struck the rock, <laughs> like she had like over out of anger. What else did he do? Missing a big one. Broke the tablets in anger. He killed the Egyptian. I mean, that's murder right there. I mean, think about it. Then he, then he ran to the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, and, and that's where God called him out of the burning bush and all those other things that had. So, I mean, there was some evidential things that he did wrong. Now, now what we were saying earlier about Moses represented what? The law. It's almost like he broke the law. I want him. You know, and I'm, again, I'm not preaching fact with this, okay? But just, he represented that, and, and, and Satan is an accuser of the brethren and things like that. So we have that there, that Satan simply desired him because he was falling short of the glory of God. But what's the cool part of that principle there? He was rebuked in the name of the Lord. And, and that, that's just a powerful picture. So there's kind of theory number one, okay? Theory number two, it was one of the only bodies used later in Scripture, okay? And, and that's what Cherie was talking about. Uh, Matthew 17, 1, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up to a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his faith did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with them. Now, I mean, that's the Mount of Transfiguration, and even that thing is a big mystery. It's intriguing to study and stuff like that, um, but it could have been the fact that he knew, but Satan is not all-knowing. So, you know, but maybe because of the fact that his body was special to God meant that Satan was after it or for that, 
But again, this is just, I'm just laying out things that we know that actually happened in Scripture. So we know that in the New Testament, his, his physical being of being there was mentioned in the New Testament. So that brings us up that maybe Satan knew and was uh, addressing it for that reason. So here's another time that we know about people preaching and, and, and something similar to that. And that's Revelation when the, when the two preachers are mentioned of preaching all that time. And I will give power unto two witnesses... And they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days uh, clothed in sackcloth. And a lot of people have speculated. When I teach through Revelation, I'll mention that as a theory uh, because of the Mount Transfiguration that we have in Matthew chapter 17. But at the same time, the Bible does not say. So could it be that Satan knew that God had a plan for Moses later? Uh, maybe so, uh, that he kind of knew that it was special to God in that aspect of it. So what is, what is the point of the mystery of this? And this just comes down to it. Um, it just is simply the fact that we are at war. That, that's, I don't know any other way to put it. And when he starts talking about the spiritual warfare that we have that's happening in, he's just literally saying that there's a war happening that's raging greater than what you can handle. And you need to even Satan try to go after the body of Moses. And we need to keep our guard up. And maybe that should roll into an Ephesians chapter 6 study right there. Put on the full armor of God that ye might be able to stand, evil, even the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your, and it goes through the illustration of that. But let's look at the second part of this. There's not bring against him railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So the greatest angel of the Lord stood in the power of God, and he resisted him in the authority of God. And I think that's important to understand because some people will be like, I rebuke thee. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? People that, I, I, I'll tell you, just being transparent, I don't rebuke anything evil. I do it in the power of God. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where the authority lies. That's where the power lies. That is why the maniac of Gadara came out and he threw himself to the ground and called him the son of the most high. You know, there's, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. So you want to know how to walk in victory. You just walk with Jesus. That's what you do. And, and sometimes we can get so uh, cocky, I guess, you know, and thinking that we're something. I, I'll tell you what, I'm nothing without the power of God. And if Michael stood there and rebuked him in the name of the Lord, I know I don't have any power to rebuke Satan in the name of anybody but Jesus Christ. But this just teaches us that we're at war. But against war against what? Verse 10. But these speak evil of those things which know not, but they which know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. So he's, he begins to talk about, again, um, the uh, false teachers, the false doctrine, uh, the watered-down truth, and things like that. So he, he gets out of that verse 9 of talking about the spiritual warfare, and then he starts talking about these false teachers and false prophets again. But he says this, he says, these speak evil of those things which they know not. It's like they don't even know what they're talking about. They, they're doing this, they're doing what they know naturally. And so uh, it's, it's, there's a danger when people start referencing what they do and don't do or believe or don't believe according to how they feel. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? Listen to these really dangerous statements. I don't feel that way or I don't see it that way, or I don't, 
you know, all those kind of things like that. It doesn't matter how you feel because our feelings go from here to here just from the time we get up to the time we hit traffic, okay? You know, we're all over the place. So when we start running our lives according to feelings and emotions, we're all wrong. That's why we stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is a rock. It's stable. It doesn't buckle or, or, or fall apart. And the Bible talks about when it's talking about the natural man. Um, Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the, day, are the ways of death. You know, that, that's why there's a lot of things that we see that people vote on in different decisions that were made and say, well, to me, that feels right. And the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends are the ways of destruction, the ways of death. And uh, if we did what feels good or what feels right to us, um, guys, we'd sleep in every day. We, we would only have dessert. I mean, I just if we did what just feels good to us, you know, uh, if I, just being real, we would, uh, I would punch people all the time. <laughs> just being real. I'm just like, if I did what felt like, or felt good in the moment, you know, I was like, yeah, until there's a restraining order, you know, but so we don't do that. It, he even uses this illustration, but we speak evil of those things which they know not, they don't know the things of the Spirit of God. But what they know naturally as brute beast. In those things, they corrupted themselves. But the brute beast is just wild animals without intelligence. Did you guys, uh, I'm not even bringing up the stories, just the stories about these dogs, you know what I'm saying, that attack the kids and things like that. You say, what happened? They just go back to their, their nature. You know, I think these. People are crazy that has pet snakes. You know, Drew Cox in our church, he has pet snakes, okay? And these pythons, you heard the story, which is a true story about the python that was kept crawling in the bed and laying next to the lady. And she said, I think I'm getting really attached. He likes to snuggle with me at night. And then the veterinarians came back and said, he's sizing you up to see if he could swallow you. You know, it's just like, you talk about, and that's what this is talking about, brute beast, it's, they, they just do whatever the appetite is at a time. And he's talking about the people in the world that are these false teachers and things like that. They, and Listen, in those things, they corrupt themselves. It does not edify. It does not build up. And that's why in Proverbs 6.25, there are a way that seemeth right unto a man, but let's, here's the truth, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That is why we preach the truth about the rapture is true and Jesus is coming. Because I don't want to, for anybody to say, that just scares my kids, and I don't like to hear that and stuff. But the thing is, if you don't hear it, the ends of, of life are the ways of death. It's, it, there's nothing good that comes unless we declare what is right and wrong. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to, uh, the list goes on. Anyways, you guys know, I mean, if you watched the, the news last night at all, you know what's going on. It's just, it's just everything. It's not about right and wrong anymore. It's all about the preference of people. Verse 11 is the example of Cain. And he, we have three examples here. Woe unto them. Okay, woe unto them. Warning. For they have gone the way of Cain. Now, what is the way of Cain? Uh, there's a lot of illustrations and people that have theories, but let's just read it. In verse uh, Genesis 4, 5, But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it did come to pass that they were in the field. And Cain rose up against his brother and slew him. 
What did he do? He just got in the flesh. You know what Cain did? I'm mad. I'm mad at you. I have one brother, and now I'm going to be down to none. And just took his life in the moment out of something so dumb. And, and that's what this thing is talking about. When you're in the flesh, you just do whatever feels good, not, not understanding the results that are coming. And it says in 1 John 3.12, it, it actually references this. It says, not as Cain, who was as the wicked one, and slew his brother. When you want to know what the Bible is talking about, don't be like Cain, who got in the flesh and did something like this. And wherefore slew him, because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. That is the difference. And because um, he was led by jealousy, hate, greed, and anger. Um, and that's why it says in, at the end of verse 10, in, in those things they corrupt themselves. That's what they do. They, it, it defiles, it messes up. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Greedily and reward. Okay, so we've got living in the flesh. Now let's look at another illustration. About, I'm just talking about those that are false teachers or what their motives are uh, of messing things up. It is reward and greed. Money and greed. False teachers were, the, uh, were after the payout or the prestige of it more than they are honoring God and righteousness. Now, I know a lot of you guys know the, the story of Balaam. What sticks out in your mind mostly, uh, number one, about Balaam? Talking the talking donkey. People, you know, like, tell me the story of Balaam. Most people can't, don't know the full story, but they know that there was a talking donkey. You know, it's like, and, and we're not talking about Shrek for anybody that's thinking that that's the, the story we're, that we're telling right now. Um, but uh, a prophet of God that was enticed by riches to, uh, by the king of the wicked people. And God warned him not to run after the lust and the riches that he was being offered of this. And uh, God even tried to stop him on his way by speaking to him through a talking donkey. I'll tell you what, if God talked to me through a donkey, I would stop right there. That would be, that would be it right there. I think, I, I'm not smart, but I'm smart enough to listen to a donkey. And uh, he knew he was doing wrong. He even confessed to God that he knew this was wrong, but he continued to go down this path. Then the king of Moab was asking Balaam how he could, could, could get God to curse the nation of Israel. It's like literally using this reverse on him. He's supposed to be a prophet declaring what is right and true. And eventually Balaam tells him, tells the wicked king to lead them into sin and idolatry. And so that's what happens. He, under this advice, the king sends in this young woman to commit fornication and lead them to worship false gods. So he's literally saying, don't be like Balaam. You know, where or the illustration is that, that there's uh, like Cain that was selfish desires, but then Balaam that was going after greed and lust. And guys, just so you know, we see this all the time. Where there is, um, and I said, not every TV evangelist is wrong, but we do see a lot of it that is after money and after greed and after popularity and those things. But listen to the last thing, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So Kor, uh, and another way in the Old Testament, it's Korah was a leader in Israel who went before Moses and said, we don't need you anymore. We can do this ourselves. And God brought them to the tabernacle and God swallowed them up, literally brought them in, sat them aside, and God opened the earth and swallowed them up. I know, praise God, God doesn't work that way today. Okay, it's like, I brought you certain people down to the front of the church and then you see me get out of the way, you know, you know God's about to do something. God doesn't work that way today. Um, but their, their sin that they were talking about was rebellion. 
And, and, and a lot of times when you see false teachers or people leading people away or people going watering down the word of God, let's just put it like that, it's rebellion because God says one thing and we do another. And, and I don't care, even, even today when it comes to sexuality day, when it comes to, let me, let me and you're, I know what everybody's thinking when I say that. We know that sin. Let me just say about premarital sex. Because we, we make such a big deal about, you know, gay and lesbian and all this other stuff. Do you realize sexual sin is sexual sin? Amen. I'm not lifting one up over the other. I'm just saying, how dare we as a church, if we'll preach about one thing being wrong, and then we turn our eye to other things being wrong. You know what I'm saying? Right is right and wrong is wrong. And so we can't water these things down because we're afraid to, to harm or affect people because that is rebellion of us rejecting what God has said of being morally right and wrong. So the warning here was just about those living in the flesh, greed, or rebellion. And if we're going to take a stand in the last days, we've, we've got to be ready to go to war. We really do. And so we have these three uh, illustrations of this, of this. So in Jude 1.12, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves with fear. Early Christians would meet for a meal of fellowship and uh, they, they would call this a feast of charity or feast of love and everyone would bring what they could. And just like, when, it's kind of like what we would have a potluck today. That's what that, that feast of charity was. Friends getting together and fellowshipping, uh, Christian friends like that. Um, but th there was some that would be greedy that would come and serve themselves but bring nothing to the table. That's what that's referencing. And, and the, the point that they were talking about is the fact that they will take of themselves, but they contribute nothing to the work of God. The service was empty. And it's a me-first mindset. I'm going to do what makes me happy. Another illustration of this is they were clouds... Uh, and clouds they were without water. They carried about with winds. They existed and they gave nothing out. They benefited nothing. Now, you know, you think about preachers in the last days that they said, well, some will have itching ears. Does everybody know the concept of that? that the idea of itching ears is they're going to, as long as they can get the applause, they don't, they, they don't care about giving people truth. They just want to be accepted by the crowds. And, but they contribute nothing to, to the work of God. Like a cloud that carries no water. Or trees whose fruit wherewith without no, no fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They produce nothing. Here's another illustration. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. After a great storm, what happens is this, this, the storm washes up everything that was in the water. And you have a bunch of junk on the shoreline. It's like, that's the illustration of that. It's, it's a bunch of foam and no product of it. Wandering stars to whom reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Uh, they, they traveled by the stars and the wandering stars would shoot uh, out of nowhere and eventually disappear into the darkness with no benefit. So every one of these things was, if you take anybody that does not preach the truth or stand for righteousness or draw a line with what God says is right and wrong, there's no benefit. There's no benefit. And it, and it almost is redundant. You know, when Jude's like, here's another illustration. Here's another. It's like a star that leads to nowhere. It's like the storm that brings up trash and does nothing. It's like a cloud that does bring no rain. It's like a tree that brings no fruit. And let's just be transparent. If, if we go down that path, even as a church, to fit in in the last days because things are complicated, 
And I gave the illustration last week. If they come back and say with changes of politics or whatever, they came back and said that you're, we're going to take away your tax exempt unless you, if you, if you continue to speak like this or whatever, we might keep our tax exempt, but we'll lose the power of God. Amen. It, it, we'll lose the power of God. And we've got to be ready for that. I, I, I'm not only saying that just because, man, things are tough and things are changing. It's almost like, are we ready for this? And I don't know what end times are going to be like because all I do know is the Bible says that perilous times will come. And, and I, I'm just being honest. I don't know if we could handle perilous times would come because I think some people struggle just to go to church because it's cold outside. You know what I'm saying? We're struggling to go to church because it's cold outside and you're ready for, you know, taking the chance that you could be drugged out of the church and shot. Did anybody hear the news about that missionary overseas that was, that was pulled over by the cops or pulled over by two SUVs? Um, what, what country was that in? Uh, Baghdad. In Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Two SUVs blocked a man. He was driving with his wife. He had two or three kids at home. And, and they all got out and shot him dead in the seat, a missionary over there, undercover as an English teacher, but a missionary overseas. Him and Dave went to Bible college today uh, together. Him and Pastor Dave, they were friends in Bible college. Dave knew him very well. And, uh, and we, we talk about one day, one day. No, this is already happening. It's not happening here in America. But I think we need to be ready because we, we need to stand firm. And standing firm doesn't mean somebody's going to rip up a track and throw it at you. And I, we've all had stuff like that happen. It's not a bad Google review, okay? We've, we have that happening. I'm, I'm talking about them trying to take our Bibles or saying you can't meet on Sundays or them telling us what we can and cannot preach in the Word of God. So here's the judgment that is coming. Let me close with this. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, literally illustrating, he said, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He was saying from the very beginning, this is nothing new and it shouldn't shock you, but he said, I can take you all the way back to Enoch, that was the seventh born away from Adam, that Jesus in God is coming. Judgment is coming. I preached on this on Sunday. This world is not permanent. It's not permanent. It's, it's, it's but a vapor. It is, it is temporary. It's very temporary. But we've got to live like it's temporary. And, and, and the, the idea of it is that all the way from the beginning, that judgment is coming, and God's going to execute this and convince all that are ungodly. You, you say, I can't convince them. You don't have to convince them. They, every, at, the, at the name of Jesus, every name will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's powerful to even think about it. The word convince in this passage literally means to be fully convinced, to be fully convicted. And there are hard speeches, which is the the blasphemy or irreverence against God. God's going to bring down the hammer on all of it.